Welcome to episode 16 of Everything Hurts. My name is Dr. Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo, and I'm here again with my co-host, Dr. James Heathers. I have made a serious vocational error. Why? What do you think we're doing? What? The, the, the podcast? Well, just in general, really. Science yeah. seems pretty terrible today. Why, why? I was hoping you were going to talk me out of it. Yeah, okay, well, ma- maybe over the next uh, 40 minutes we can uh, we can do that. Why? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? This isn't, this isn't a canned... Um, this is a, I, I, it's not an artificial intro. No. Uh, this is a, the, we, we never plan these things and people go, ah, oh, this is, a, a, I like that introduction you did the other day. We, we didn't plan that. Uh, I was in a bad mood because I'm essentially a 34 year old toddler, uh, with, with degrees. Um, so you probably won't talk me out of it. I'm just being, uh, unnecessarily grumpy. How are you? Yeah, good. End of the, uh, end of the work week, which is nice. Hmm. Yeah. I saw you. Um, you had a really uh, interesting question on your your own uh, Facebook page. Uh, yeah. Which and is that's a that's a, that's a, that's a good segue. As yeah. in, did we see that and go? That's a damn good question. That's worth an episode or two. Yeah. That and um, I've had a, a few days of difficult uh a few days of difficulty writing anything. Good. So, when someone suggests something to be written, uh, occasionally it's easier to just talk about it. And um, if I'm if I'm talking about it in this context, I can't um, like stop stop and throw the computer at the wall and go to the pub or anything. <laughs> I mean, the 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 die is cast now. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, what are we talking about though? Um, this is from my friend Irish Will, who inflicted this really very difficult question on me. Um, I think this is an excellent question, by the way. What are the defining characteristics of a good psych study? Oh. <laughs> My background is in pharmacology. You don't need fancy statistics. You have a response, you enhance it, or you block it. Simple. These days with fancy statistics, I don't know what to believe in. From my background, if a simple t-test doesn't work, you're fucked. But if it doesn't, it doesn't look like this is the case for behavioral studies. Instead of showing dodgy analysis, what would be a clear way to show an effect in behavioral data? Show me the way, mang. M-A-N-G. A peculiar affectation of mine that I picked up years ago. That's a great question. It's like, it's, it's, it's a simple but, you know complex sort of uh thing to ask um and have you when's the last time you read a psych paper and it just reported t-tests or just reported uh, oh. a, a pearson a pearson correlation and said look we did this thing uh here's the t-test and it's what we hypothesized you know let's all go and and then yeah yeah um i've not seen something like that for uh, if, if you said uh, point one out in the last little while and I'd have a great deal of difficulty doing it um, man I can't even think of one I can think of really like old ones classic experiments um, well, but, you know a, clo- a, a, a close one was um, the our paper which actually came out today uh, which was looking at HIV and worry I actually just clicked then. Because all we did was a series of T-tests, um, some correlations, but 
the difference was um, I chucked on some Bayesian statistics, so that doesn't really qualify. We didn't throw them on for fun, Dan. It was a good way of addressing the problem. Exactly, because the problem in this circumstance was actually um, trying to get evidence for the null hypothesis that there was no difference between groups or there was no significant... Uh, no significant uh, correlation between uh, between these two variables. But that being said, um, that still doesn't qualify as a study which just has t tests or just has correlations. It's been um, I just I, I just can't think of any. Yeah. So your example's actually rubbish. What you just said is we just published a paper. I'm trying to think of a creative way to mention it because no, I'm no. a special boy. <laughs> it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, well, you, can, you can read it. You, you can post about it. It's open access, so you can all. Uh... Who paid for this? Uh, the uh, University of Oslo open access. Oh, this is like a huge money box full of fish and oil. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, well, go, go on. I've got a an, an angry reflection on how I how I think about this and what I think is at the center of this question um because look there's there's several there's several parts of several different approaches to a question like that but the first the, the the first thing that i read from it is i have a central cynicism towards studies that have stacked variables multiple measurements and then a series of difficult to understand and complicated statistical methods that are used to address a lot of the time behavioral measurements that aren't behavioral measurements that are are, are non are non physiological, mm-hmm. if we can use that as a as a category. So, I mean, the vast majority of the time, uh, someone's being asked how they feel at some point, and data that comes out of various transformations of how do you feel X Y Z is going into mixed linear models and moderation and mediation analysis and uh, all sorts of fancy regression. Um, I, I think... And, go on. I told you this was long. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem, the thing that I always struggle with is how many... How many conceptual layers can you have within a study? You start off with a concept like anxiety. Mm. What is it to start with? How is it correctly used in context? What is, the, the, is there any difference in the construct between people who have anxiety, anxious people, quote-unquote, and normal anxiety itself? And then you start layering things on it like, which anxiety test are we using? Is it culturally appropriate? Does it work? Does it does it work the right way? Is it is it commonly understood? Um, you know, there's different there's, the different cultures use categorical answers to stuff like uh, you know how anxious are you from one to five differently. It mm. actually has uh, it actually has cultural differentiations along it, um, and then you take. I mean, I mean, for, for us, a lot of the time, you take physiological variables and stack them in as well, and they're supposed to have their own constructs that they're almost invariably oversold when it comes to 
psychophysiology papers, and 80% of which is hammered piss that should be read by no one. And then you mix all of this up together in a bag and start pushing and start pushing these concepts around. And you always pretend that every time you add a concept, that then you're then you're starting from scratch. And the next thing that you do that's a transformation is going to is going to be the valid thing. Now, yeah. Everything up to the point in time where you've you've created you've collected these variables, you've created these variables, you've put them into a basic analysis, and everything up to that point in time, these people do or do not have anxiety, rather than the nested series of assumptions that's got you to that point in the first place. Yeah. And when it becomes normal to do that, you start adding layers of complication because you think you can push these variables around like they're like they're marbles in a sack and there's seven here and there's four here you think they have a a level of discreteness and what they don't have is they have a a series of rolling uh operationalizations that are enormously problematic Mm. and then when you start to do extremely creative statistics on them people start to find these marvelous results (laughs) that are supposed to make sense and i have absolutely no time whatsoever for research like that i don't read it i'm not interested in it uh i i seriously question whether it's valid in the first instance uh, you remember when that's that thing about social priming the other day the, the professor wrote to go oh oh i'm sitting here drinking whiskey wondering if i've wasted huge chunks of my life and yeah. everyone goes oh, oh oh what a what a daring and interesting admission fuck off i know people who've been in psychology who thought that for 20 or 30 years so i read that and my initial response was something like probably dude Sorry. There's a series of shared assumptions that we have about how a research environment should be constructed has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not it's the right thing to do in the first place. People are capable of getting into large groups and deluding each other. (laughs) Yeah. Well, kind of large large, large research areas and people deluding each other. So, look, bring it back to me. Bring it back to an example that we know very well. There's, a, there's an idea that you can take a heart rate and you can turn it into a generalized autonomic balance in a person and then you can make great weighty statements about whether or not they're engaged or anxious or stressed, etc., etc. Yeah. And it's fucking bullshit. The theory is just there's absolutely nothing when you drill right down into the center of it and it's been pointed out since the late 90s and people are still using the idea because it's convenient to publish research. Mm. Because it is able to be turned into paper. It's the, it's the, this is what, it's, it's decadence at this point. It's decadence in the traditional sense where you're lying on a couch and throwing up perfectly good oysters so you can eat more. The, the, the act of, the act of eating itself has been completely transmuted the, the idea of a, the, we're, we're, we're eating because we're hungry. We're not going, well, all we need to do is eat lots. I'm having more fun. If I eat three dozen oysters, throwing them up a dozen at a time, because I got to because I got to actually eat more. It's the equivalent of, and, and now you've got these things uh, that are research tools that are completely divorced from appropriate controls and circumstances, and people are using this. There's a hundred and twenty something papers that mention uh, a method like this in the last year. <laughs> Every single one of them is utterly unjustified. Mm. Now that's not, and this is the, there's lots of things where I could use language that strong with things that aren't aren't quite this wrong. But this is proper. This is proper. Shut down the machines. Go home and get a job on a farm. Wrong. It's just <laughs> there's just no justification for it whatsoever. Would you? Is, am I overselling that? No, I, th- I think with the example that you're talking about, that is bang on. But like you say, it's because of convenience. 
And yeah, it, yeah, and, and it's but when the act of when you consider what you do to be publishing work rather than finding stuff out, it's the whole machine. Uh, it's, if it's convenient for publishing work, then yeah. about, this is <laughs> there's a certain amount of irony here because I've done an awful lot of papers. <laughs> which are themselves publishing work. I recognise there's some hypocrisy involved in no, that. but you yeah, can write an awful lot of papers about how other people are using shitty methods. Getting um, meta-research here. Now, one thing I want to pull you up on is um, I do think in some circumstances these uh, these statistical methods are actually justified. Yeah, of course. Um, but, but, okay, l- l- let's, let's put it this way. Um, let's say, for example, you're looking at a repeated measures design. There are two broad ways that you can do this. Repeated measures ANOVA, linear mix model. Yeah. Yep. Um, the only time... Well, you are justified using linear mix models uh, for, for two ways in particular. Firstly, if you don't actually fulfill the assumptions of repeated measures ANOVA, which happens a lot. Okay, um, example. Why would, why would something fail those assumptions? Um, uneven, un- unequal variances between Good. the, between the groups, for instance. And that's probably the most obvious one. Yeah, and that, but okay, go is, on. you can't check that. But the second thing, and which is probably more pertinent to, to research in psychology, because we're testing on humans, is that people drop out and that, um, say you're doing repeated measures twice or three times, some people mm. won't be there for the second or third time. Yep. Repeated measures ANOVA, you have to drop the entire participant. You can't include them in the ANOVA if they've missed one yep. uh, thing. And if you've got something like four baselines and then four increasing drug doses at four different occasions, yep. you are you you have a human fallibility, yep. everyday sort of factor where Hans and Gunther don't come back from the third or the fourth session, and you never manage to get their data, and then you end up throwing the data point out. Yeah, and, and, it's, and so it's valuable for some for some it's like for for things where the conditions are visit based, big problem. Huge so, problem, yeah. Uh, linear, linear mixed model, robust to this. Exactly. So you can actually jump in and do that. However, um, I see a lot of people that actually use a linear mixed model um, and like w- w- when they can be used interchangeably, they'll go for, li- for the linear mixed model just because, you know, I think it just seems a bit more fancy. But I, I don't think that's the right approach because a lot of people don't understand them. Uh, I saw a quote uh, about a month or two ago which said... Um, Giving letting psychologists use, psychologists use linear mixed models is like giving a shotgun to a baby. <laughs> that was that was that was in a published paper as well, and we will post that on the links um, because it's definitely not as straightforward as the repeated measures ANOVA. Um, so I think that's also that's also a fucking awesome story. It's a great story. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but but you know, in, in a sense, it's true, and that's the case with a lot of these statistical methods, which aren't as straightforward. People are using them, um, and with uh, SPSS or even R, you can put stuff in. It's not going to tell you, "Hey, you're an idiot. You're doing something wrong." It'll do what you tell it to do. Yeah, mm. but at least with with say repeated measures ANOVA, it's pretty clear what you're doing. But more importantly, the readers can actually understand what you're doing when it comes to the interpretation and what you did. So, if you're doing these linear mixed models, when you can easily just do a repeated measures ANOVA, um, you're just unnecessarily uh, unnecessarily confusing people. Mm-hmm. And that's not to mention all these studies which chuck in every uh, every covariate under the sun. And as soon as you see that, first thing you think, unless it's like an obvious covariate, you know, perhaps gender or some sort of hormone thing, you're thinking, oh, come on, you know, did, did you mm. did, did you really... Did you, you had eight covariates, you just happened to choose those three? Yeah. 
Uh, how many up? combinations there are out of eight in or out covariates? <laughs> I, I was once... Um, how many are there? It, it can be he- heaps, tons. Two to the power of eight. I don't know. You stop doing these maths things. Maths things? Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking the presence or the absence of a, of a fucking covariate in a model. Yeah. Got, so at every single point, you're choosing between the presence or the absence of a thing, and there's eight things. That's not a maths thing. It's not fucking particle physics. <laughs> Yeah. What? So there's 256 combinations, right? Yeah, and it's mental. And of course, by chance, you're going to get a few things which come significant. Speaking oh, what well, if you use the the third one, the fourth one, and yeah. the seventh one? But I planned that, Dan. But I it's was, a planned analysis. I, I was once visiting a. Um, As in, I planned to do analysis till it worked. <laughs> till it worked. I, I, I was once vis- I was once visiting a a research institution which shall remain nameless, and I walked past the I walked past the meeting room. And um, I saw all these people kind of pouring over just... It almost looked like a tablecloth, like over a meeting table. I didn't know what was going on. And then I, I walked past the same meeting room about 10 minutes later and I had a peek in. And it turns out they'd printed um, this enormous table. Of <laughs> this enormous table of... It's like basically an enormous correlation matrix, which took up about eight pages. <laughs> And there was three of them looking through, finding, oh, where's the correlation? <laughs> it was the biggest fishing expedition I've ever seen. And there was like a red a red marker around, look, it's significant. <laughs> Do you know, it's really, it's really, I'm disappointed in myself that my first thought is, why didn't they automate that? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. So it was I told a, a you, failure. Remember, I, I, wrote some, I wrote some software that did this once. It, it uh what which automated what what was significant when during a fishing expedition yes i don't remember but okay. oh well you know, it was a couple of years ago it was the end of my phd um we never published it because it just didn't say it was just depressing and then you know i have all these technical details to get to a point that everyone knows anyway um <laughs> basically it took two groups of, of, of uh it took two groups of people and the, the groups were first five minutes and second five minutes so it's a within subjects measurement which is me sitting down in a chair and my heart rate for five minutes. Yeah. And then the immediately subsequent five minutes after that. Yeah. So I was trying to simultaneously prove... Sorry, I dropped something. I was trying to simultaneously prove that your heart rate would go up or down in two consecutive sections. Not heart rate variability, sorry. Not heart rate. Heart rate, obviously. Almost impossible to fiddle. So... um. If like, can you do the analysis that's so dishonest? Ah, oh, I do remember this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 I think this is interesting. I, I think you should uh, pursue that. Oh, I'll, I'll get around to it. But that wasn't even. I wasn't even playing with the covariates. Yeah. I wasn't even playing with the covariates. Um, I've got the code here. So why don't we? Um, I mean, this is for this is for a particular kind of analysis, but I give you the, the the idea of of what we can actually do, and um, manipulate it horribly. So you start off with you start off with two heart rate series. And so you, you, so uh, you're recording this for ten minutes, and you're basically yes, splitting it in half. Okay. Yes. To to prove that people sitting around doing nothing, yes, <laughs> does their HRV go up? Does it stay the same, or does it go down? Well, you'd assume it wouldn't change whatsoever as long as the conditions are the same, unless there's some sort of very modest well, habituation effect. But I doubt it. Um, I don't. We, we, I think it was control for habituation, so that was okay, which is a good point. Obviously, our heart rate is non-stationary, mm-hmm. so uh, 
there's a, a, a possibility that it could change simply because it's from a, a system that displays those properties. But um, in general, I mean, we think of it as quasi-stationary. So it's about the same. It's yeah. a silly question. Yeah. Um, so I did things like uh, I had seven different ways of identifying error. I had four different ways of fixing the hole left behind where the errors were identified. I had eight different ways of interpolating the the heart rate things to make and, and these are all, all of these are published these are all real things i had 12 yeah. different ways of doing detrending i had two different ways of uh truncating the file to take off whether or not there was something there's something wrong so we throw out the first minute or not basically and after we've done all that uh i had 88 different legitimate published analytical methods and of the 88 different uh analytical methods uh, they would re return obviously 88 different, uh, 88 different uh, pairs of figures, and the pairs of figures would be tested with um, a combination of I think five covariates that would yeah. go into a simple model. Yeah. So the amount of legitimate analyses I could perform was we'll work it out now. Let's do is do this live. Seven times four, times eight, times twelve, times two, times eighty-eight, times two to the power of five. Yeah? Yeah. What do we got? Guess. <laughs> I don't no know. No more maths questions, James. 15,138,816. 15 million. <laughs> now, this is before um, Andrew Gelman, the statistician who writes an excellent blog that we're also going to link yes, to. Yes, yes. Uh, he wrote a paper about the, the idea of making these decisions over time and lying to yourself Um and the metaphor that he used that everyone's adopted because it's great is the garden of forking paths. Mm -hmm. This isn't the garden of forking paths as much as like a uh, hyper-fork death generator. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and, but any single one of those, and I tried this, so if I pick this out at random, I can write all this stuff down in a method section. Yeah. Yeah? And... I sincerely doubt, unless the, the person reviewing it had very sharp eyes, and was some gooseberry like me that did um, that was interested in specific methodological questions. I don't think a lot of people would go, "Well, hang on a second, why that specific value? Why is this reported like this?" You know, when I um, when I'm reviewing a paper, I'll always if it's if it's not doing one of the maybe two or three typical approaches, I'll instantly look back. To their history of publishing, yeah. yeah, that's always that's always a good idea. People and who, yeah, you've if, got an analytical if, method that's always the same because you know it's the best way to do it, and that has strong justifications. Yeah, yeah, you should check you should check them against themselves. If if they've got a history of picking different measures, different approaches, I think that's very suspect. Whereas if they use a measure which is a little bit not super common, yet they have a history of using that measure or the same approach, sure, I'll give I'll you know. I think that's I think that's okay. Mm. Why why haven't you published this? This is I think this is gold. Oh, do you know how much stuff I have that isn't published? You know, right? Yeah, but this is yeah I, I do know that. We we could hack this over a weekend. Probably. Seriously. Yeah, I don't think fifteen million's enough though. <laughs> I gotta try and figure out other stuff to um other stuff to do with it. And um I even wrote and, and the title uh, I wrote, that, I wrote um, a GUI. Yeah. I wrote a GUI and a wrapper. And it plays circus music and has a little spinning <laughs> colored wheel. Did. Did you remember this? No. 
Um, it has a a, a wrapper, and That's you um, incredible. You, you start out by doing ten thousand things on a boat. This will play through your speakers, so people can so people can hear it. This is hilarious. Um, hang on, hang on. Uh, I'll tell you what. We'll... Maybe we'll do it after the after the break. We can have a look at it during the break, and uh, we can we can have that music as our break um, music. That's going to be our break music. This is the sound that plays on my um my uh silly analysis generator. <laughs> it is a sped up copy of uh a song that was used to test pianolas. Nice. We'll we'll play um, that. So so it sounds really 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 stupid. And it plays while the counter goes up and generates your fraudulences. Um, but yeah, look, I don't really understand. Uh, I don't know what it adds as far as an analysis paper is concerned. The whole I think, point, I think it adds plenty. Not just... Yeah, well, you can see what it's a, it's a normal situation. I lost interest in it and um, didn't push it out because um, you know, the point is well made. Um, I suppose if there were specific recommendations of what it actually meant rather than me just showing off and having fun and being silly. Um, yeah. Maybe we're looking for a next thing to do. Maybe it can be that. I, th- I think this is a great thing. Meta right. research is becoming very popular. Okay, we're going to take a break uh, and then you're going to hear some of uh, James's circus music and we'll be back soon. <laughs> <laughs> back to Everything Hurts, a podcast about toenails and parrots and other nouns I'm choosing at random. I have forgotten the episode number, which is... 16. Um, you know who we are from before, and you've just enjoyed some fine circus-based music. <laughs> Who's, I didn't know in 20 minutes we'd be doing this. Uh, we were going to be so much more sensible. Um, now, what am I supposed to be announcing? Young man. Uh, how people can reach us. Oh, yeah. How people can reach us. Um, we have a Facebook, a Twitter, and an email account. Um, yeah. If you Google any of these things and the name, everything hurts. Communicate, actually, communicate through Twitter so it becomes Dan's problem. Would you please? <laughs> yeah. Hertz Podcast? It's Hertz Podcast, isn't it? Hertz Podcast. Twitter.com slash Hertz Podcast. H-E-R-T-Z-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Hertz Podcast. Yeah, we got some, um, getting some great feedback on the uh, Hertz Podcast. Um, we had uh, one person, uh, William, who was at Turk TTW who said, enjoying and learning from the Everything Hurts podcast. So, uh, thanks. Uh, Aww, yeah. He's enjoying it. And he's learning. Uh, you, uh, William, you you madman. Yeah, thank learning you. Learning uh, things. No, we're, we're doing this because we had a terrible childhood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 need to vent, we need to vent somehow. Uh, no. This is, uh, it's, it's, it feels 
vaguely useful. Yeah, no. So thanks, thank, thanks, William. And we we also got some uh, some feedback on our uh, on our last episode or one one of our episodes, which was talking about uh, community engagement. And this is from. Uh, Good friend and collaborator Gal Alvarez, who said that. Hey, uh, Gail. Hey, Gail. Yeah, I knew you'd know more about this than I did. <laughs> yeah. Who said uh, we were talking about how um, community engagement is becoming an important part of grant applications, and I was a bit like, "Yeah, I, I, I think it's used in Australia," but she actually confirmed that it's listed as an essential requirement. Whoa! Yes. Essential requirement. How's es- your father? Es- All right. Especially for the um, NHMRC Early Career Fellowship. Yeah, which is um, you know, oh. are we still eligible for those, or are uh, we too old? No, no, we're eligible. I, I find it funny when they say, "Oh, you know, this is a young, a young careers fellowship, a, a young fellowship," and it, the age is like forty or something. Yeah, uh, but no, it's um, it, it's an important part. So um, thank thanks for that, Gail. Um, and speaking of um, prior episodes, there's a this story came up in Norway, um, both today and yesterday. Where um it was they were they were in a postal facility. People opening up packages, seeing what's in here. Someone opens up a uh, envelope, and a whole bunch of white powder spills out. And before you know it, this bloke starts coughing, um, and um, they develop a rash. And then um, basically, someone goes, "What's going on?" And they point to the they point to the powder, and then all of a sudden, the, the you know the, the rest of the um the rest of the the room people start coughing. Start complaining that you know their respiratory tract is feeling hot. They can't breathe. Everything's closing up. Obviously, they call the ambulance. Um, the the military comes to, to 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 check what the powder is, and they evacuate the whole building. So as it turns out, fourteen people were admitted to hospital as a result of this powder, and they sent uh, the rest of the people in the building, in the larger building, about forty. So they basically had packed out the local emergency ward. News comes out today after they checked it. It was flour. No SIBO effect. Lovely. Yeah. Wow. It's like that thing from Nigeria a couple of years ago. Like people started laughing. 400 people have laughing sickness. Wow. Okay. Um, I guess the sight of a white powder in an envelope is a very powerful association. Absolutely. And you almost, you know, you can't blame them working in postal facility. It's something that's always in the back of your mind. Um, but it probably would be. Yeah, um, but uh, it's just it's incredible how the, uh, the 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 contagion and how people were like, oh man, I'm I'm feeling really sick, and um, it just turned out to story. be. Yeah, just just came it's out. Worth it. Do you think it's worth a case study? Are you allowed to go and uh, talk to these people? All right, so there's a what? Well, mass, mass, mass psychogenic illness is extremely interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah, but uh, I mean, not, you not, need to, not get to take away, to not to take away with. anything from the people. Um, you can't, you can't blame it for happening. No, of course but not. It's of um, course not. But yeah. it's the thing. Why was there flour in an envelope to the first place? Was a, a baker sending someone their rent check? <laughs> it's Norway. People, people send food all the time through the postal system. You know that they deliver post here on Saturdays. Isn't that amazing? No, that happens here. Oh, does it? So it's just yeah. Australia. It's just Australia that oh. has a, a, a postal system that's generally reliable, but I think there's one critical point uh, in the, the the chain by which a letter or a parcel is sent from one end to the other that is rodent-based. <laughs> there's a hamster in a wheel somewhere, somewhere. fixing up that shit. Somewhere. But, uh, yeah, now, this episode, we've been talking um, about uh, a question which was sent in about how do you define a good psychology study? 
and we've responded to that question with uh, some unfocused blather about yeah. <laughs> about uh, things that we don't like. It's like, oh, we're going to have to do a two-parter on this and I think um, so. get more feedback, have a closer look at what's going on because um, I told you before we recorded, I said it was the potential for me to get annoyed, yeah. which means we lose 10 minutes, but most of the time is fairly high. Um, and I'll having a slow brain day so that was that was always going to happen mm. basically mm. um for which i apologize to a minimal degree um what would you say well let's let's take the, the question as right let's say you're reading through uh something in an adjunct area to yours mm. that is a scientific study and you are looking for markers of quality what do you look for when it comes to what's good uh I mean, the first place I'll go to is looking straight to the uh, to the method section. How do they approach it? Was there a good rationale for what they did? And yep. was the statistical analysis appropriate for their research question? Yeah. Yeah. I know something you're definitely going to agree with. You ready? Yeah. Hit me. Pre-registration. Oh, so much so. Look, um, if they're using if they're using a grab bag of if it's a thing, if it's very obviously a like we were discussing previously. Uh, if it's very obviously a path-related situation, um, a pre-registered, a pre-registered plan for something like that. Even if it's pre-registered, we say, "Oh, look, there's a series of competing considerations, and this is somewhat exploratory." But we expect to find things within this area. Yeah, yeah. Is our prospective model? Um, yeah, uh, I've, I have. I have a, a certain degree of faith in that. I mean, obviously, you can you can game pre-registration. That's one of the initial concerns people had when it became more popular. You can game it. What by running the study, then pre-registering it, and then reporting it later? Is that what you mean? Do you know what Do you know what the problem with that is? Mm. If you're doing it is tied to any kind of funding whatsoever, then you have a, a declaration of what's going to happen. It's in the funding, and then you have a huge and suspicious length of time in which you do absolutely nothing, followed by a pre-registration, followed immediately by the result. So if you want to wait until the end of time <laughs> to make it look realistic, um, yeah, look, feel free. Uh, it's much easier. The, most of these things is, is just changing incentives. It's just much easier to know what you're talking about and be honest than try and dick around with it. Yeah, yeah it's more trouble just fooling around than actually, you know, do, doing the thing. But it makes makes a massive difference. If I, if I see a study um, and I don't, outside of clinical trials, um, I, I still don't see it. Maybe I'm reading the wrong journals. I don't know. Uh, you're somewhat reading the wrong journals, I'd imagine. Um, the whole point as well with the, uh, with the pre-registration, hopefully people are getting feedback on what they've published. and Other people are, are pointing out analyses that would be more appropriate or changing uh, what what could or should happen uh, to address previous previous work better. And there's lots of other concerns. Mm. Um, I, I like the fact that... Um, I like the fact that it's amenable to change before you start testing your assumptions so other people could help you improve your assumptions. And with a lot of these protocols and registrations, um, you know, you're free to, you, you might do, do the first draft. Um, we have um, already published one um, pre-registration. And who's um, we? This is, no, this is a pre-registration. We've, we've, we've pre-registered all of our oxytocin work. Um, but this yeah, I think that's pretty necessary because... Um, oxytocin work is a, a minefield yeah yeah su super like whenever if i see an oxytocin study more and more now um it, it, things are getting registered which is great 
Um, Good. Yeah. Because it, it, it needs it. Yeah, absolutely. Your compatriots are dills. But it, it's, it's, you know, but it's good though, because now we're actually, now we're finding that um, uh, studies, um, are, you know, are getting getting reported, which is great, and they're getting registered. Um, but but the problem is that um, quite a lot of people are registering and then just not saying anything. Yeah. So the incentives for actually saying why I didn't report anything, those aren't there. Hmm. So you can say, yeah, we registered the study. And then it's great if you publish it because then you can look back going, cool, it was pre-registered. But then you have all these studies. You're saying people are ignoring their pre-registrations. No, they're not ignoring it. They ran the study and found squat and uh, just keeping quiet. That's, I mean, that, yeah. Either the study's been going for seven years or they didn't find anything. And a lot of these people don't actually update their registration records, which is a requirement for clinicaltrials.gov. I believe every year... You have to if you haven't done anything, you have to update and say, yeah, yeah, we're still collecting data. Or you can say, um, yeah, you know, we we did we didn't find anything. Um, no, no one says that at least within oxytocin. Yeah. Um, so that's well, um, things are just so easy to find, aren't they? Yeah, but that's the thing. Like you, like they, they, that. The good thing is you can actually track, um, you know, check all the main clinical trial registries, and you can find out what's going on in your area. But it's getting better, and um, the the new initiative is the pre-registered reports where some journals and the most prominent one, I believe, is Cortex, where you register your report. If your experiment is um, sound, you know, appropriately powered, they mm. will publish whatever you find. So the first paper is your pre-registration. This is what we're going to do. Mm. And then based on that, they are guaranteed to publish whatever you find later on. And that is a great idea. That is that is a very good idea. Um, but we've only we've only established one thing to look for that makes a, a good study that you can pre-identify. Yeah. Um, I would I would say uh, not for something that's as cut and dried as this was pre-registered at venue X Y Z. The there's an appropriate level of analysis to address a question, okay. and that appropriateness is difficult to objectively determine, but. If you see a small sample where they say, look, we've got an effect here, uh, we're trying to modify it between this one group, so we're specifically looking for this interaction term, and there's obvious covariance. So if you've done, we used linear mixed models as an example before. If you've done that, and there's nothing fancy that comes after that, mm-hmm. then it feels like an appropriate level of analysis, as opposed to... Uh, we started to add conditions. We started to get creative. We started to break things up into groups, uh, and then we've here's a here's our path model, and it looks like uh, someone got into a universe factory and just <laughs> kicked random lines out of it. Uh, were you telling me before you had a you saw an amazing example of a an, uh, a small subject study that has uh, like a wildly inflated internal series of comparisons yeah it was like it was like a, a four-way interaction like a three by seven by four by three and then it was like <laughs> a, it, was, it was it was obscene it was with how ab- many with how many people oh it was like 30 people i have to okay have and to this is that. the stuff this is the stuff that's getting published yeah I mean, it you was saw that because it was published not because someone reviewed it and then went hey dan keep this quiet but i've just seen no, the stupidest no, no. thing in history it was published but then someone on twitter was like hey look at the stupidest thing in history look at this interaction just look at it Hmm. Yeah. It's um yeah. Hmm. Not 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 uh not uncommon. But no, no. It, it it's it's true. Does the analysis have they done these crazy gymnastics to find 
their result. But if they say, hey, this is our initial thing, um, this is what we found, cool. Then we started doing some exploratory analysis, bam, cool, mm. go for it. And then in conclusions, if you say, this is what we found, we found this, by the way, this is exploratory, it's a bit tentative, we'll look at this later, cool. But overselling and overselling some by doing some weird analysis that you're doing, yeah, that's um, that's pretty bad. But the thing is, and it's don't, hard. And don't read, don't read positive psychology studies at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you, you, you'll get limpets on your eyeballs. That'll yeah. be the first thing. And it'll make you really angry, which totally defeats the purpose. But sometimes you actually do need to ask someone who's more familiar with the field because oh, yeah. you, you can look at a thing. Oh, that's a bit weird. But then someone might go, no, 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 that's actually a common measure. If I that- sent you if I sent you um, a good sort of oxytocin, vasopressin, neuropeptide, whatever, behavioral experiment, yeah, um, could you tell me in 90 seconds how much you trusted it? Yeah. Yeah. I, but um, the, I have people who can do that with the fMRI studies with things. I'm completely at sea and I have no idea whatsoever and send the method and go, is this any good? And they go, oh, all the major things to avoid have been avoided. It seems appropriately powered. It's Yeah, it's fine. You can, you can figure it out in a couple of minutes if you know what to look for. Absolutely. And I was because always... The opacity of everything like this is the, the more specialization you get and the more people publish, the more difficult it is to... Try and really seriously nail down what the essential criteria for acceptability are. Mm. Um, I don't mean that in the publication sense. I mean something that you you say, all right, all the assumptions that could be taken care of realistically have been taken care of. Mm. Yeah. And I I guess we could say the same thing for a HIV study. You know, for, probably for the both of us, more more so. You send you something, and pretty quickly you can have a look at. Especially, um, I think I, as I, a general rule, an HIV study, um, you should just assume that it's terrible. <laughs> you Unless should, it's it some should like justify hit. itself from scratch. It's just so much. There's so many <laughs> bad studies. It's the yeah. It's the democratization effect. Yes, you can get a you can get a. a, a there was the, those awesome guys in Hungary with the one hundred dollar ECG. Once people figure out that they can get that and um, get that and use it, mm. um, you know, on and on it will go. I actually find as well it's probably not the most accurate thing, but um, you can even get some clues by who people are citing. That's true. And if you're if you're thinking, okay, assuming they're actually reading the thing and they're familiar with the work that they're citing. You can kind of tell, well, they they know what they're talking about, particularly when it comes to methods and approaches and interpretation. So sometimes I have a quick look and see who they're citing. Beyond, you know, the typical, you know, you have to cite these people, um, especially within HIV, there's, there's a few good ones that you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. If they're reading them, then they're probably pretty sensible. Yeah, well, there's extremely senior people in everyone's field who we all accept know what they're doing. Yeah, um, yeah. If you've if you've read their work and you find appropriate places to explain that you've taken the care that they've outlined, then um, it's probably a good thing. If you'd ignored huge chunks of the relevant literature and done what you want anyway, it's probably a reasonable statement that you are a simpleton and a ruiner. But I think it's even even clearer things like HRV. Um, there are certain measures that um, you know what the rough physiological bounds are. You know what you expect to see. If you go straight to the table, straight to the figure, and you're seeing some weird numbers on the axes, something is wrong. Yeah. Um, same thing with we've, we've spoken about it before, but same thing with um, you know this so-called sympathovagal balance or LF. HF normalized. Mm. Those things should follow uh, certain patterns. Yeah, 
Um, but if they don't, then something is seriously wrong. Same thing with oxytocin. Basal levels follow uh, certain uh, certain parameters. If they're off, something's off. And if that's off, then what else is off with the paper? A great deal. Mm. <laughs> oh, dear. Are we too negative? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe for next episode, we can do everything that's right with psychology. And there is a lot. People I think are... the uh, the recent efforts to generally improve things, which is a extremely difficult, fractious, and unstraightforward series of proceedings. Um, I think they've dramatically improved from even five years ago. Yeah. Um, the general cognizance of the, the fact that it, collective standards can be raised mm. uh, is pretty high. Uh, and they'd want to be because, you know, I've probably said a few times, this is etc. research area has to change or die. Um, eventually, I'm going to be right. And um, <laughs> you don't want to have, you don't want to, I mean, think about what happened to priming recently and people have, uh, it's not necessarily the big papers. I mean, maybe priming effects are real. Priming is when you, you, you form an unconscious association in someone's mind and then it's tested by through another task. Give like, us a, um, give you, us a you good prime. One. You prime the like the old prime thing where you people sit around and they do an unrelated study where they see lots of words that mean uh that, that have old connotations pop socks blue rinse um sitting in an armchair complaining loudly about people of a different color or ethnic origin et cetera et cetera um things that old people generally do um and then those things appear out of context, and then you display either more old-like behaviors. You, w- you walk or slower down inc- the hallway. Then, yeah, that's think the original, or some 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 kind of bias that comes on. Then is is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. Um, the fact that it's easy to run and it has interesting uh, implications for daily life. It's easy to understand, and you know it's media friendly. You anyone can do this. I don't think the um. The center of the problem is probably not some of the really established work. As, mm. um, I think some of it's been replicated quite successfully. The problem is that everyone and his mum's had a go. Yeah, I actually saw a great paper which has called this type of stuff uh, fast food psychology that you can easily just go in, Oof. pick it up, run the study. Um, and, you know, they're basically arguing, wait, are there other areas of psychology which are just as bad? But these studies are so expensive to run that no one's actually doing it. So priming yeah. may have gotten a really bad rap because anyone can do it, which is good, but which is also bad. Yeah, it's not um, it's not amazing, is it? Nah. No. Um. Well, yeah, yeah, look. Um. It's interesting to I don't know how well this observation will stand up, but I remember some of the the cancer biology reproducibility results. Um, were worse than worse than the um the uh, Open Science Foundation re- reproducibility. Uh, just on a on a basic kind of level, I suppose. Mm. Um, it was, I think, in the high twenties rather than the high thirties. So can we directly reproduce this effect? Mm. And then, of course, you know, the psychology studies come out and there's a, a paper just very recently in the last few days about how, what happens when you ignore context. I mean, for example, um, how would you rerun this study that we did 10 years ago uh, that have lots of personal references to Canadian celebrities from 10 years ago? 
<laughs> you know, can you rerun that now in America? Of course you can't. You know, who's a 19-year-old American student from Buffalo? Who's Jean Chrétien? <laughs> yeah, he's a French president or the French prime minister or something, but they don't know that. I had to think about that for 10 seconds. Like, I know that name. Who the hell is that guy? Oh, right. Okay. That's not an effective stimulus anymore. No, no. So will there be context effects that need to be controlled for? Yes, absolutely, there will be. Um, the thing is, a lot of people who get contextual results claim that they've discovered rule-governed behavior mm. that generalize it's not the fact we don't expect context to be there obviously we do um but you can dramatically oversell it surely yeah <sighs> i think we're, there's a lot more to say yeah let, let's um, um let's wrap it up for today but let's we're, pull we're, the let's pull the pin we are gonna and i can keep get talking some sleep about yeah but uh thanks thanks for listening remember to uh tell your friends twitter Facebook and uh, rate us on iTunes as well. Five, five stars. You need to tell your aunts. Tell them. They, they our, love it. our listenership, viewership, listenership, listenership, whatever. More aunts. Yeah. <laughs> tell your aunts. This is not a drill. <laughs> Until next week. Bye for now. Bye.